TTSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. Well, hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer, as we are here to answer your questions on the Bible, the Christian faith, and current events. I'm Scott Parker, and I'm in today for Mike Kessler. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri. It's my pleasure to be your host today. And again, if you have a question and you want to give us a call today, that number is 8888-ASK-CSN. 8888-ASK-CSN, or it translates out to 888-827-5276. And with me on the program again today is my good friend and pastor of Calvary OC, South OC. Let me get that right. Calvary South OC. That's Orange County in Southern California. And that is none other than Pastor John Randall. John, thanks for being on with us again today. Well, Scott, great to be back with you two days in a row. Can you believe it? Yeah, what a what a blessing. And John, it really is a, a blessing uh, to be in the ministry with you here on CSN, answering Bible questions. And uh, again, we just want to remind everyone, if you have a question, give us a call, 8888-ASK-CSN or 888-827-5276. And uh, while we wait for some calls to be populated, uh, John, hey, we talked about this yesterday and a little bit today before the show. It's a busy time of the year for mm-hmm. everybody as we come into the Christmas season and especially for pastors. And uh, so what is going on right now that you would want our listeners to know about uh, what's happening at Calvary South OC? Well, I'm sure like for most most churches, everybody, uh, it seems that there's a lot more visitors that come through during this time of year. And um, for some people, perhaps the reason is they, they want to reconnect with some memory or, or they want to feel feel maybe obligated sometimes to go to church or maybe their uh, nephew or niece or granddaughter, grandson is going to be performing at the church. And so there's a lot of people that come through. And I, I know for me, my heart is is always every every time this time of year is to focus the attention of those that come on the gospel of Jesus Christ, because for some, you may only see them one time a year. And so it's always my prayer that those that do come um, would receive Christ, the greatest gift that there is, and and their lives would be changed. It wouldn't just be a once a year thing, but it'd be an everyday part of their life as a result of receiving Jesus. There's a lot of prayer that goes into this. Of course, there's a lot of activities you and I were talking about, the various uh, gatherings, whether it's women's, men's, you know, singles, et cetera. Like there's all, there's something going on. So for us, there's a lot Christmas Eve this year. It's kind of interesting because it falls on a, you know, a Sunday, which is so mm-hmm. interesting because as pastors, you're like, well, what, what should I do? Because Christmas Eve, we normally use Sunday morning. So how do we, so for us, I don't know any right way or wrong way to do it for us. We just said, we're just going to do Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. So we're going to do two, four and six. That's where we're starting right now. Two, four and six. And, uh, and we're just we're just doing it. Other people are doing different times, so just trying to figure all that out. But excited for this time of year. Love to love this time of year. Yeah, and John, like you said, this is the time of the year where we have an opportunity uh, as we preach and teach about the incarnation of Jesus, God coming to Earth, becoming a man, and of course, the whole point that He came was to die 
And so there's no other time, maybe except for the Easter season, um, that we really have an inroad into people who don't normally come to church to share the gospel with them. And, you know, and that's true, too, for all of our listeners. And we would just encourage all of you who are believers uh, to take this, the opportunity during this season, because um, I, I have found that really during Christmas, a lot of people's hearts are a little more open uh, you know, just because of the nature of the season, uh, to hear the gospel and open to Jesus Christ, uh, than more than any other time. So we'd like to encourage you to, uh, to do that. Just ask the Lord to open a door and then fill you with the spirit, give you the boldness to be able to speak the truth in love. And there's no time, I believe, like the present time to share the gospel, of course, anytime, but especially during this Christmas season. And, uh, also, John, you know, just in case our listeners would want to hear more, you know, uh, your program, A Daily Walk, airs right here on CSN one hour before to every man an answer. And so uh, we want to let everyone know that. If you'd like to listen to Pastor John, uh, his teachings from his church, from his pulpit, you can do that here on CSN. And that's it. Uh, of course, here in the Central Time, it's 4 p.m., but Mountain would be 3 p.m. And then uh, 2, you know, as you go back to the Pacific Coast. Um, and, um, if you want to hear some good Bible teaching, tune in to Pastor John Randall in a daily walk on his program there, there, you know, John, I'm an avid listener of CSN and, uh, I hear your program many times in the program. And I just want to tell you, I really enjoy your teaching and get a lot from it. Oh, Pastor, Pastor Scott, that's so encouraging. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored and, and really humbled to be a part of the CSN family and just, just grateful for, uh, God's provision to be able to put the word of God out there. And, and I, I do pray that folks are, are encouraged and strengthened in their walk with the Lord. Exactly. And it's a real, you know, it's a real wonderful opportunity and it's a real privilege, mm-hmm. uh, for us not only to be on to every man and answer, but also to share the teachings from our pulpit, from our church with the right. CSN listening audience. And we do the same on the weekends. We have a program called A Word for the Church and mm-hmm. you can hear us, uh, here on CSN on Saturday mornings. Here in the central time zone, it's 10 a.m., so that would be 9, you know, uh, on in the um, mountain time. And then uh, on the eastern coast, it would be uh, 11 a.m. And then also 6 p.m. central time on Sunday evenings. So you can uh, tune in and listen to our program if you'd like to hear more of what we have to share from the Bible. So with that, we're going to go ahead and go to the phones. And we have Jennifer on the line from Oregon. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes, Jennifer, you're on the air. How can we help you? Um, I went in, I'm curious about Job is supposed to be the oldest book in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. But where does he fit in, like, the t- timeline? Is he before Abraham, in between Abraham and Enoch? I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, Jennifer, that is a great question. And I'm sure that there's different uh, Bible scholars who have different opinions on this. But when we look at the Bible, what's the best uh, evidence we can come up with? And so, Pastor John, what do you know about where Job fits in in the scheme of things as far as the timeline back there in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I actually just read through, uh, personally, just completed uh, a couple, like a week ago, the book of Job, just reading through the Bible and and enjoying that book and especially getting to the end. Uh, but, uh, so I didn't be the beginning and the end, but, but, you know, just seeing God's plan for Job. But honestly, we, we don't really know about the dates or the setting pertaining to Job. Mo- most scholars would believe that Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, Jennifer, as you mentioned. 
And it seems that, you know, it talks about Job in the very beginning that he would offer sacrifices on behalf of his children, just in case that they had sinned or had done something that maybe offended God. So he didn't go to a priest to offer sacrifices. So it seems to put him before the time when the law was given by Moses, because then Moses, there was the tabernacle and the people were to go to the tabernacle and this is the process that they would go through. But but Job was offering sacrifices before that. Job chapter one talks about this, of course, in verse five. And and also his wealth was measured uh, not so much by gold, but it was by livestock, how much livestock he had. And Job had had quite a bit. And um, so it would seem that Perhaps he lived in the patriarchal period somewhere around there. Um, that, that is what most people would, would suggest because of those things. But certainly he lived prior to the law being given, although we're not given a specific date and, and time, um, of when Job was there. But, but perhaps he was a contemporary to Abraham or Lot. I, but definitely during that period of time before the sacrificial system as it related to the law was put into place would be my suggestion on that. Yeah, John, that's great insights right from the Bible too about, uh, about Job there. Um, great points. Um, I do know that, you know, a lot of Bible scholars too, um, they relate Job, um, who the book of Job is all about to a man by the name of Jobab back in Genesis chapter 10 in verse 29 and what they, what is called the table of nations. And, uh, so it's interesting because um, if that were the case, if the, the first person named Jobab is a, is a reference to Job, then that actually puts him before the time of Abraham. And as John said, definitely before the time of the law. And at the, and, and, uh, that would even, well, that would even put him right before the time of the patriarchs, actually. So, um, that's, that's a, uh, go yeah. ahead, Sean. No, I was going to yeah. agree with you on that because, you know, in Job 42, it says that, you know, at the very end, it talks about Job, uh, lived 140 years and he saw his sons and daughters, four generations and then job died an old man full of days so it even it even seems to go like he lived longer than than most so so it it seems that it's it's got to be during that time period when people were living you know the longevity of the individuals was much longer so 140 and then he you know four, saw four generations of kids so he he lived a while too would be another indication i suppose of of when job was on the planet yeah, exactly. But uh, when it comes down to it, again, that's why Bible scholars have different opinions about it, because there's nothing definitive. But there are some good indications in Scripture, uh, as John said there, that points us back, again, before the law, either at or before the time of the patriarchs. And so anyway, Jennifer, does that help you out at all? Yeah, so sometime after Noah and before Moses. <laughs> it appears, yes. <laughs> yes, it sure does. So I believe that's about the best we can do with that, Jennifer. I hope that helps. And if you would, you stay on the line. And uh, the folks at CSN have some wonderful goodies they would like to send to you in the mail. And let's go ahead now and go to another Jennifer. And this is Jennifer from right here in Festus, Missouri. Jennifer, it's good to have you on the program today. How can we help you? I want to know why they don't talk about Mary's husband, Joseph, that much in the Bible. You know, Jesus didn't he raise Jesus up to be the carpenter and or did mm-hmm. God just anoint him to do what he was supposed to do? Well, Jennifer, you know, that's a great question because, you know, that is something that's interesting, isn't it? When you look at the Gospels and especially those Gospels that mention uh, the birth of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus, 
Uh, it does seem that the attention is more on Mary than it is Joseph. And so, Pastor John, do you have any insight into why that may be? Well, I want to begin by saying what it does say about Joseph is completely con- uh, complimentary in terms of that he was a just man and that he was a godly mm-hmm. man. And you think about the situation that Joseph was placed into, being betrothed to Mary, and they were as good as being legally married, although the marriage had not been consummated. And then, you know, Joseph gets word that Mary is pregnant, and he knows it's not by him. And the virgin birth, it's not like that's ever happened before. So this is, I mean, imagine being in the position that Joseph was in. And the Bible says that there came that point when Joseph was going to put Mary away privately by way of divorce. He wasn't going to shame her. He wasn't, he was going to, to handle things in a way, I think obviously because he loved her. However, he had an appearance by an angel and told him not to be afraid and to take Mary. And, and, and it was explained to Joseph all that had happened to Mary that was of the Holy Spirit. But even though Joseph, that was revealed to him, I mean, imagine um, living with that stigma of, oh, sure, that that's not your child and that's not your son. And by the way, we're going to name him Jesus. We're not going to name him after you. And, and having knowing everything that Joseph knew and had been revealed to him and, and kind of living with that shadow, even later on, you see this in the ministry of Jesus when the religious leaders said, well, we were not born of fornication. You know, just that whole stigma that, that Mary and Joseph lived with. But Joseph was a just man and he cared for Mary and he was with her every step of the way. But I think the reason why we don't read more about Joseph in the narrative in the Gospels is perhaps because Joseph passed away. We don't know when. We know that Mary and Joseph had more children. The Bible tells us that. Jesus had brothers and even had sisters. Mary didn't remain a perpetual virgin, as some would like to suggest. No, they had more children after Jesus was born. In fact, the Bible says he didn't know his wife until after Jesus was born, and then they had a family together. And the Bible doesn't say much more about him, but I do appreciate what it does say. And I've always found Joseph to be one of those characters in the narrative of the nativity that you could easily look over, but but he had a part to play and a significant part. He was all in when it came to Jesus and Mary. And I, I really um, am grateful for his example as a man. Yes. And, and John, you know, I remember as teaching many times through Matthew chapter one, especially at Christmas time, and, um, you know, where it mentions Joseph's character is so incredible. You know, he was he was such a man of character that God would choose him and trust him to be the foster father of his very own son. Yeah. I mean, that really shows you what kind of man he was. And uh, it's interesting, too, because where it says he was a just man, uh, I always say, you know, jo- Joseph wasn't just a man. He was a just man. He was a holy man that God chose, just like he chose all the apostles to bring his written word through. Uh, He chose Joseph to be the caretaker of the living word, Jesus. And it's just incredible. And Jennifer, also, it's interesting. And I I totally agree with John. I, I think the reason that you don't see more of Joseph in the New Testament is because he probably did pass away at an earlier age. Um, you know, the last time you see Mary mentioned in the Bible is in Acts chapter one, um, where she is actually in the upper room with the disciples and the 120. Actually, this is interesting, isn't it? She's obeying her son's command to go to Jerusalem and to wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's very interesting that uh, Mary doesn't order Jesus around, but she actually, the last thing we have of Mary is she obeyed her son. 
but what's interesting is, you know, the fact that Joseph isn't there uh, with Mary in the upper room tells us that, uh, you know, he had, he had gone to be with the Lord by that time, obviously. Um, but it is interesting, though, and, and maybe we should look at it this way, too, that even though it seems like more is said about Mary, um, when you look at Matthew chapter one, you know, Matthew chapter one is basically Jesus birth. And if you want to say the Christmas story, let's just use those words. You know, it's, it's the, it's the Christmas story. Um, according to Joseph, it's it, Matthew is writing about Jesus conception and birth from Joseph's perspective. And in Matthew chapter one is where you have the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph, even though Joseph wasn't his biological father, Joseph, because of his Davidic line, did have the right to the throne of David. And so that's another reason why God chose Joseph to be uh, the foster father of Jesus and to raise him. And uh, so you have all that in Matthew chapter one. And then, of course, it's over in the Gospel of Luke, where we have Jesus genealogy, um, according to Mary's line. Uh, again, going back to David, again, to prove that both from his his earthly father, his let's say his foster father, Joseph, and from his biological mother, Mary, uh, had that right to the throne of David uh, as the Messiah and king of Israel. Um, but then also, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, in the first uh, two, three chapters there, uh, you have uh, a long account. Uh, but that account of Jesus' co- conception and birth is from Mary's perspective. And so I think that's another reason why, too, you may see a little difference there. But, um, you know, in a, in a certain way, um, equal weight is given to each if you kind of look at it that way. So anyway, Jennifer, does that help you? Yeah, it does. I really appreciate it. I thank you guys. And I will see you, you tonight then. Thanks. Yes, we're we're looking forward to it. <laughs> you got it, Jennifer. And uh, thanks so much for the question and for the call. And by the way, if anyone is listening and you're in the St. Louis area, we would love to invite you out tonight. That's what Jennifer's talking about. We're going to be having church tonight at Calvary Chapel in Festus, just uh, about 35 miles south of downtown St. Louis. And we're going to be live streaming on the big screen in our church, the event from Kansas City with Amir Sarfati. He will be teaching on what is next for Israel. And so we're going to be live streaming that tonight. So if you're in our area, in the St. Louis area, we have two uh, two CSN stations that air in the area and then another one that uh, airs about an hour and a half away from St. Louis. So if you're in the area and you'd like to come join us tonight to hear Amir Sarfati um, on live stream, we would love to have you join us. And that would be tonight at 630 uh, Central Time. So uh, let's go ahead and go back to the phone. So let's go to Joanne in, in Eugene, Oregon. Joanne, welcome to Every Man and Answer. Thank you. Um, I have a quick question about. and mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Are you Joanne, there? are you? Yeah, yeah. I, yes, I think you cut I, out for a moment. You know, <laughs> I did. Another call came in, of all things. Um, oh. Why is it that in Revelation 22, some Bible publishers leave out um, verse 14? Okay. Well, let's look at that real quick. Uh, that verse, Revelation 22, 14, says, Blessed are those who do his commandments. It says that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. 
Um, so John, you know, I'm going to do some looking up here real quick, but do you know, if, uh, the, I can see there's, I can see already there's a difference in how this is translated. Um, I don't know personally of any modern translations where this verse is left out. Do you? I do not. I personally read out of the new King James version of the Bible. I teach out of that passage of, or out of that, uh, that particular version, not that I'm opposed to other versions. I just mm-hmm. am very familiar with the King James as well as the New King James. In studying, I'll use other comparative translations, but I, in whenever I've taught uh, scriptures, I've never seen it uh, missing from the text. I don't know why um, it would not be in the scriptures, um, why why it would be omitted for some reason. There is a uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not certain of that. And that's verse 20, uh, verse 14, right? That, that they have the right to the tree of life and that may enter through the gates into the city. Personally, I think that's pretty exciting. I love that passage of scripture because, you know, the tree of life, the Adam and Eve had to be removed out of the garden of Eden, lest they take of the tree of life. And it just, it's gone. It disappears and you don't see it again because they would have lived forever. Right? So now here you get to the heavenly scene and hey, guess what's there? the tree of life, like, oh my goodness, it's there. And so I've always thought that was amazing that things are restored to what they once were, that sin mm-hmm. and, every, and and the result of sin is, and so many good things was destroyed and death came instead of life. But here you see this, this beautiful picture in glory and you see the tree of life showing up again. And I, I think that's pretty exciting. Yes, it is. And, and Joanne, let me ask you this question. Um, did you hear somebody teaching who said that this verse is left out of different translations? Uh, no, no, it wasn't that chapter and verse. It was Revelation 22, verse 14. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Because if, if you look at that verse and you look at other translations, and I actually have them right on my computer right now, and that verse is in all the translations that we have today that we read from. But I would say this, there is a difference though. For instance, the King James and the New King James, that verse says this, blessed are those who do his commandments. But in the New Living Translation, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, all of those versions, it says this, blessed are those who wash their robes. So that verse is not left out. It's just different in the more modern translations. Now, why is that? The reason for that is because of the Greek manuscripts that those certain versions are translated from, okay? So in some of the manuscripts that we have today that are ancient Greek manuscripts in which the New Testament was written in, this verse reads differently. Uh, for instance, the New King James and the King James Version is taken from a a um, a version of the Greek Old Testament that's called the Textus Receptus, which is believed to be the most accurate and dependable um, Greek manuscripts that we have. And they were believed to be that for years. And many people still believe that they are. But then what happened was many years after that, there were more manuscripts that were actually found in Alexandria, Egypt, and they are called the Alexandrian Texts. And they also are Greek texts of the New Testament. And what's interesting is, though, in some verses in in the Bible and throughout, or let me say in the New Testament and throughout the New Testament, they read a little differently, okay? And what's interesting is 
the scholars claim that the Alexandrian texts are actually older than the Textus Receptus, okay? And why that's important to scholars is because they claim that if a text is older than another one, then it's more dependable. And that is why in some of the newer translations, it will translate a verse differently than what it will translate in older versions is because they're using a different Greek text to, turn, to translate from. Okay. So whoever you were listening to or as you're reading that, that may be the point they were making was maybe not it's left out. It's just different. Um, and the reason for that is because of the Greek manuscripts that they are translating from. So I know that's a lot of head knowledge and <laughs> a lot of scholarly knowledge, but does that help you at all? Well, actually, it's the. It, I think I got the wrong um, chapter because that's not the verse. Um, okay. Well, hey, at least I answered a question. Maybe somebody was asking. <laughs> I, was, that, I was blessed by that response. I just want to say that. I, yeah, oh, thanks, very, all that history stuff is interesting, but it's the verse in Revelation that says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end." That's chap. That's further down, further along in the book. Verse thirteen. Very verse thirteen. Yeah, verse 13 says that. Um, and again, I'm looking at the other translations and they all say the same. Um, boy, John, I, I tell you what, I'm stumped here. Yeah. Cause off not, the top of my head, I don't know any difference. Yeah. Go ahead, John. No, I agree with you. I think maybe, maybe, um, maybe Joanne, it's, it's a different, maybe it's the wrong verse. Cause all those verses that you mentioned are all in there. And by the way, just for the record, these are great verses. These are awesome. I'm so glad they're in there. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So glad Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, he's the first and last. And uh, so praise God for that. Exactly. And Joanne, too, l- let me say this as well wh- while we're on the subject. Um, you know, it's interesting because in some versions of the Bible, as you're reading through, um, sometimes you will have in one version, and especially the new uh, international version, the NIV, is really uh, known for this. You may be reading and the verse is missing or a couple verses are missing. And again, the reason for that has to do with translation. Okay. And why you would go through uh, a certain version of the Bible and it would be missing verses is because of the way they're translating it. Okay. So it could be, it could be the text they're using or it could be the method of translation. And the reason I say that is because of this. Uh, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the, the New American Standard Version, those are all word-for-word translations, but other versions who are missing verses are thought-for-thought translations, so that's why that may happen. So, Joanne, we hope that helps, and we're going to come back after these words for the second half of To Every Man and Answer here on this Wednesday. God bless, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. ultrasound and I saw this little lima bean looking thing with a halo. When this mom came to a preborn center, a baby wasn't really in her plans. And I got to hear the heartbeat and I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. After hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her baby on ultrasound, this mom's plans changed. My choice to become a mom, hear those little footsteps running down the hallway every morning is all because I had an ultrasound 
ultrasound, it saved my life and hers. When an expected mother meets her baby on ultrasound, she is 80% more likely to choose life. Preborn's network of clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and have rescued over 270,000 babies. To learn how you can rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too. For over 30 years, it's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing, too. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another $150 savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but just call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And remember, the deadline is December 15th. So call now, and you'll save even more. Here's the number, 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE, 855-91-BIBLE. Well, good afternoon and evening from wherever it is you may be listening. And I'm Scott Parker, and for Mike Kessler today, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri. And I am joined by Pastor John Randall from Calvary South OC in Southern California. And we want to welcome you to the second half of our Wednesday edition of To Every Man and Answer. And if you have a question on the Bible, the Christian faith, or current events, We would love to have you give us a call, and that number to call is 8888-ASK-CSN, and that's 888-827-5276, and we'll put you on the air, and we would love to answer your Bible question today the best we can. And so let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Karen from Boise, Idaho. Karen, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I had a question since I've moved here. I recognize that there's a lot of Jehovah Witnesses, and I think they consider themselves Christian as well. So when I try to talk to someone about my faith and I say I'm a Christian, I don't know if they're confusing me because Jehovah Witnesses are so prevalent or Mormons or whatever. Um, How do I make myself, um, you know, not not confused with that by saying I'm a Christian. I know there's a lot of other religions that say they're Christian, but their faith is in not the Lord Jesus, but in other, you know, false beliefs, if you will. So how do I, do I mention Jesus's name as my savior, maybe, instead of just mentioning God? Okay. Well, Karen, that, yeah, that that's a great question. And, you know, cults are all around us in many fashions and shapes and forms and different beliefs. Um, but, you know, when it when it comes to the cults, what you have is in every cult, they begin with a misconception of God and who he is, and especially uh, a misconception of who Jesus Christ is. And really, that's that's where it comes down to. 
um, is what do they have to say about Jesus? And so, um, you know, Karen, moving to Boise, Idaho, where did you move from? Well, my husband was military, so we moved every two or oh. three years. <laughs> um, gotcha. More recently, we moved from New Mexico, which there's a lot of Catholics, and I don't want to disregard, <laughs> you know, there's Catholics that I think might truly believe in Jesus as their Savior. And that was another second part of my question. Mm-hmm. Do you think Catholics can indeed, you know, believe in Jesus but still pra- practice Catholicism? Um, okay. I'm a Baptist yeah. because I'm from Georgia, but Christian just covers a lot of different religions, if you will. And I try to make it about a relationship with Jesus. But how do you say that when you're just talking to someone in the grocery line? You know? Yes. Well, right, right. Well, the reason I was going to say probably why you're you're experiencing um, a lot of Mormons up in that area is because you're so close being in Boise, Idaho to, um, you know, to Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, which is their, their Mecca, you know, their, their, um, main place there. Um, lots and lots of Mormons in that area. And, uh, but you also mentioned Jehovah Witnesses and Catholics and such. So Pastor John, um, when it comes to, uh, interacting with Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and then also, if you would like to tackle this question about Catholics being, you know, can they be true Christians and still practice Catholicism? Um, go ahead and touch on any and all of that you want to, John. And then how can Karen uh, effectively uh, speak the gospel to them? Yeah, I would say, first of all, most Jehovah Witnesses and or Mormons that I've come in contact with um, will say they are Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. They, they make that distinction. There is, uh, in many areas, there's a way to identify a Mormon just by the dress that they, the, the outfit that they wear. You realize that's a bike. They have a shirt. They have an elder tag. They, you know, they just, then that's, those are Mormons. You can tell. Sometimes you can't. Um, but a lot of times you can recognize them. Jehovah's Witnesses also, you know, their literature will always have, you know, that emphasis on it. And so, uh, but I think when it comes down to the the difference, it is, as Scott mentioned, that it has to do with Jesus. I mean, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, and they they basically categorically deny his deity, and that is demonic in nature. I mean, Jesus claimed to be God over and over and over again, so they change the scriptures. And that is another thing that's important to point out as it relates to Mormonism, as it relates to Jehovah's Witnesses and the changes that have been made to, quote, their scriptures and the extra books that they hold in equality with the word of God. And, and they they do not correspond to one another. They actually contradict one another. And so I, I just think you have to be clear on what you believe. The Bible tells us, uh, Peter says, hey, listen, be ready to give an answer to everybody who would ask you for the hope that is within you. And and I think knowing who Jesus is and what the Bible says about Jesus is is where you want to stand. I've also found that not always, but most times, I don't get very far with Jehovah's Witnesses when we get into doctrine. When we talk to Mormons about this is what this is what the Bible says about Jesus, it ends up, you know, sometimes it really doesn't uh, produce anything. Sometimes it does. Maybe you can sow a seed of doubt, like what you're believing is not biblical. And sometimes it's okay to engage in that. I don't want to make a a blanket statement uh, concerning not reaching them, but um, there there is a significant difference. And so I tell people I'm a Christian, and and I don't mind explaining what that means. Uh, if if they're not clear on that. But in, where I live, most people know uh, you're a Christian or a Jehovah's Witness or you're Mormon. Now, as it relates to Catholics and Catholicism, I think um, 
to answer your question, yes, I do believe that there are Catholics who are born again, who have trusted uh, Christ as their Savior. But I would say, too, that if any person is resting their salvation upon the church as their Savior or Mary as their Savior or taking communion to be uh, something that is working towards their salvation or anything that is unbiblical, which there are many things within the Catholic Church that are unbiblical, that do not have any biblical precedent. And so either God's Word is the authority or it isn't. And for us, it is. And so I would challenge uh, the person who is in Catholicism to ask them, hey, why do you do that? What is the purpose of that? Where do you find biblical uh, instruction for that? And and so I just, and but I have met many Catholics who, have, who are genuinely born again, but they're still caught in the religious side of it. And um, I've seen others who've come out of it. And I think it's important that they understand the distinction and the difference. And uh, that would be my word to, to those who are um, in Catholicism. And, and I tell you what, when I went to the Vatican and we toured Rome and I saw things that I, I was amazed and shocked by, and I realized, wow, when my tour guide told me that she was told by her priest that the way that she would be saved is if she her, she could be absolved of her sins, Scott, if she visited these four specific uh, churches and gave to those churches, she could be absolved of sin. Let me say that is false teaching in the worst sense. That That is it. I mean, could you yeah. imagine having somebody basing their salvation on something like that? So listen, our salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone and his finished work on the cross. To yeah. try to add to that is to take away from it. That's exactly right, John. That is such a great answer. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And, um, you know, here in St. Louis, we're in a very highly Catholicized area. Um, lots of uh, Catholics and Catholic churches. And, um, you know, the one thing I, I totally agree with everything John said, Karen, and, and the one thing, too, that I would even go as far as to say when it comes to Catholicism, if someone believes that they're born again and they're still attending the Catholic Church, um, there's a real danger in idol, uh, idolatry. And mm -hmm. if they are praying to Mary and if they are bowing down and worshiping idols and praying to saints and bowing down to these statues, those are both things that are forbidden in the New Testament for Christians to do. And so I, I have to be honest. I, I would have to question someone's salvation who continues to go to the Catholic Church and practice those kind of practices. And the only reason is because of what the New Testament has to say about idolatry. And also, Paul was very clear speaking to Timothy in saying there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I think that's where the discernment can be made. Uh, as John said, I do believe there are some Catholics that are born again, and I know that there are some Catholics that stay in the Catholic Church because they're trying to be a light. They're trying to to bring light to other people. Uh, but I think for some Catholics who, too, who are truly born again, it can be a dangerous thing for them to stay there if they don't have the courage uh, to stand up against what is wrong in the Catholic Church. And of course, exactly what John said uh, about you know uh, this lady going to different churches and giving money. This was the whole. This was really the whole crux of what started the Reformation uh, back in the 1500s. Was the idea that the Catholic priests were sending out men preaching that their sins could be forgiven, and, and particularly, particularly the sins of those who've already died, who are in purgatory, could be forgiven if they gave money to the Catholic Church to help them build St. Peter's Basilica. 
and uh, St. Peter's Church there. And uh, that is that is so terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's merchandising God and the gospel, and it's not absolutely no way to salvation at all. And it's leading people to hell. So it's a very, very serious thing, Karen. And you know what? As far as witnessing the people in the cults, as John said, you know, they don't, they don't make any bones about it, who they are. But, and, and what I would do in sharing the gospel with them is I would just give them the very simple gospel. And if they argue about that, because that's what cults will usually do. If you tell them, Hey, you know, at least we know this, right? That from the scriptures, here's the way of salvation. Jesus came, died for our sins. We have to put our faith in him and nothing else and, and the resurrection and all. And, uh, you know, usually what they'll do is say, well, you know, that and something else, or, well, it's not just that, it's this too. And you can kind of know, uh, then that, you know, they're not true and up and up. But, um, you know, Karen, there's, there's, I would say this, there's no way, um, to, um, mistake, uh, cults than to know the truth yourself. So at the more you know the scriptures and what the scriptures say, then you're able to discern whether or not somebody's truly born again, as far as, uh, you know, them saying that they're from this church or that church. Um, so if you want to know the counterfeit, don't study the counterfeit, study the true. And when you know the truth, when you see a counterfeit, you'll know it immediately. That's an important thing. And then when it comes to sharing the gospel, just stick with the basic gospel. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said it was this, Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. And uh, faith in that alone is what saves us. And if they want to argue anything else, then, you know, you know that uh, the Holy Spirit's not, not, not dealing with them. Um, and the Holy, and they don't have the Holy Spirit because no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So uh, anyway, Karen, does that help you today? Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I think it's um, one man plants and other waters, but it's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit that gives the increase. So all I can do is just, like you said, study the scripture, and then that'll come out, or the Holy Spirit will guide me in what to say. Um, but I don't want to be confused as a Mormon myself. I don't think I dress or look like one, but... <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I say I'm a Christian and people run, (laughs) but maybe that's the world also, but thank you. Yeah. Well, they, they do, they do the same thing to me and John too. Um, when we say we're believers or especially when they find out we're pastors, they run quickly. (laughs) So Karen, now I will say this and, and maybe, maybe the folks there at CSN can give you the exact website if I'm mistaken here. But I know there's a website that's called, it used to be, I think it's forwitness.org or .com. Um, the folks at CSN know this because I've, I've, I've heard it on CSN. Uh, but it's a good website you can go to where, yeah, it's forwitness, the, the number four, witness.org. You can go there and they actually uh, give you information about especially you know uh Jehovah witnesses and mormons cults like that and how you can witness to them and so that would be a good good website for you to go to uh that would give you some uh, additional information on this okay okay thank you for that i appreciate You're welcome. it and i appreciate this show i love it i love listening to it Oh, well, thank you so much for the kind words and thanks for tuning in and thanks for calling today for your question. If you would hold on, we've got some things we would love to send to you in the mail. Let's go ahead and go to Daniel. Daniel's in Nevada. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. Hey, I had a yes, quick sir. 
a quick comment, and it was on the, um, you know, I, I do do a lot of reading, and the discernment's real important to me. But when I when I hear people, because your your answers were real good, when I hear people talk about, uh, um, you know, I'm a Baptist or I'm this or I'm that, it's like I don't know if they're really reading the Bible because there's no that's a man-made thing. That's not. There was only one church, and like Paul and all them says, he goes, "Did I was I crucified for you? Is it me? No." And we're either we're followers of Christ, and we shouldn't have to really tell anybody who we are. They should be able to ask, "Hey, oh yeah, I'm a believer," because I can't. I see it all the time. People been going to church, you know. I, I go to Calvary and stuff, but. When mm-hmm. I hear them say that I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Catholic or I'm this, I, I don't really say nothing. I go, well, I'm just a follower of Christ, you know. There, there's only one church, and it's, uh, we conjugate. You might conjugate there, but you're, you're, you're not a Catholic. You're, you conjugate at a Catholic setting or a Baptist setting. I don't know. Maybe right, I'm right. Out, but... No, no, Daniel, listen, I agree with you 100%. You're exactly right. And, and I would say this, too. You know, there, there are some people, you know, in our churches— and are, who are believers uh, that may not be as mature and as understanding and 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 well taught and versed in the scriptures, such as you are, you know, or we as pastors are, and they want to make sure they distinguish themselves, you know, from uh, cults or from Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons by saying I'm a Baptist or I'm of this denomination. And in doing that, they're in their mind, they are saying I'm a Christian. Uh, I totally agree with you. You know, I, I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor, but you know, I'm not a Calvaryite. Uh, I'm not a Chuck Smithite. I am a Christian, <laughs> you know, and I, I am a pastor of a Calvary Chapel because I believe that what Calvary Chapel teaches is uh, at least for me, the closest to what I can see, what the Bible says, and that's where I fit in the body of Christ. But I totally agree with you. And John, what, what do you think about this? I think we had a problem with this in the, with the Corinthians, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I'm of Paul. I'm Apollos. I'm of Jesus. I'm of Peter. All this, all the differences. You know, I, I, here's what I'm amazed at. You know, when you get to heaven, and the glimpse that we get for, in heaven is. There is one church that is united. It's not like, hey, uh, are you, are you, are you from Calvary Chapel? Oh, we got a spot for you. It's in the back, way, way back there, up in the nosebleed. That's where you're going to be. If you're, if you're Baptist or you're Methodist, hey, you guys are up close. Listen, it's one church. We're all going to be humble before the Lord. I think, you know, on, on the bulletin in, the, in my home church where I grew up in Costa Mesa, on the back of our bulletin, it said we are non-denominational. And then it went on to define that doesn't, it means we are not opposed to denominations, only the, the, the various, uh, you know, things that they get into in terms of what, what would divide us. That's what we're opposed to. I'm not opposed. Somebody says they're a Baptist. Hey, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. You know, this is what is important. And, you know, on the non-essentials, there is charity on, on the essentials. There has to be unity. There's no questioning the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, but, but the other things that are secondary. Okay. You know, Hey, we're brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. That's great. You know, but I think it's important to be on the same page as believers and being non-denominational really gives you the opportunity to, to be a blessing to others who are in other, perhaps maybe a, a, a denominational setting. Yeah, exactly. John, that was well said. And, um, you know, Daniel, and again, when it comes to this sort of thing, um, I, I do think, you know, to have a denominational mindset 
and thinking, you know, the the brand of church I attend or the denomination I'm part of is the only true church and we have, you know, the, the market on the truth. I think that's very dangerous to be sectarian like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, in order to be a Christian, there are certain um, fundamental um, orthodox doctrines that you have to believe or, you know, you're outside of Christianity and there's no salvation in that. So um, but I think, too, maybe one of the reasons why some people may say that is just because maybe they just haven't, you know, they don't know all the scriptures uh, as well. Uh, as others do, and and that's how they identify themselves, just because of maybe, you know, they're not as mature as as others. And so, um, you know, John, I think you almost quoted it there, didn't you? Um, boy, I'm trying to think of the old quote um, that says in in uh, yeah, uh, essentials. You know, yeah. there is unity in in non essentials. There's charity, and and or all things charity. All things charity. Yeah, and that's not what I was thinking of was that last part of that. You know, yeah, all things charity. So when it comes to all things and dealing with each other, we got to show each other love. So anyway, Daniel, hey, thanks for your comment. Um, and uh, it's it's very important, and we agree with you wholeheartedly, my brother. Let's go ahead and now go to Magdalena. I believe I said that right from California. Magdalena, you're on the program. Hi. Hello. Can How can we help you? We can. Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you for answering my my call. I've been trying to call a few times, but uh, for some reason or the other, it it, it has not happened. But okay. Um, I have a question. Uh, I'm taking Bible studies, and we're studying mm-hmm. the Book of John. And one of the ladies had a question in regarding how do we get rewards. She was a little bit confused, and I tried to explain to her that as us as believers who believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Lord or Savior, we are saved and we are not going to have no judgment, but we're going to get rewards. We're going to get crowns. Mm-hmm. And she was a little bit confused regarding that. And, and I was reading 1 Corinthians three twelve and 15. Mm-hmm. And it says right there that it says um, uh, that anyone has built on a foundation services, he will receive a reward. If anyone mm-hmm. works is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Are they talking right there about um, the second? Uh, that is not talking to a believer who, who believes in Christ. They, they're talking about someone who, when they die, they are going to be judged, and depending on, on their works, that's how they get rewarded. Okay, you're talking about verse 15, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, Pastor John. Verse 15, is that talking about believers or unbelievers? Well, it would seem in the context that Paul, of course, in, in writing to the Corinthians, he's talking to believers. And in the, the verses previous uh, to that, um, before that, in its context, he talks about that Paul's a fellow worker, that the Corinthians are the field, and, and they collectively are God's building. And he's using this illustration and he, he goes on to talk about how when I came to you, he's talking about when he came to the church, that Paul was considered to be the wise master builder. He laid the foundation there in that church. He was instrumental in the starting of that church. But he also exhorts them because there were a lot of problems in Corinth. Hey, be careful how you build on this foundation. 
that's been established because there isn't any other foundation that you can build on that is then other than Jesus. So then he goes on to say, and he uses different materials. He he talks about gold, silver, and precious stones. Those things, those things will last. But then there's other things you can build with wood, hay, and straw that will not last. And then he just says, each each one's work, whatever you've built on this foundation, one day, the Bible says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. We all are. We're going to receive rewards. And I believe when I look at this text, it says that that the work that I've done for the Lord and for him is going to last. And the things that weren't done for the Lord, those are the things that are going to be burned away in the sense of wood, hay, and stubble. Those things don't, they don't stand up to the fire. They, they will be refined. I don't think this means I'm going to, you know, get into heaven singed and, and, you know, smelling of smoke. I just, I made it in, you know, and I'm, I'm charred, you know, <laughs> I think it has to do with just, it's giving us a picture of the things that last and the things that won't last. And so when we stand before the Lord, our work, um, uh, th- there's going to be some things that, that they last. Th- those are the things that are going to be rewarded and the things that weren't, for, they won't last is, is the way that I would read it. I would also cross-reference this to where Paul talks about we're going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. We're going to see receive rewards for the things that we've done. But that's how I would I would read that Um, in that sense. That, that's a great answer, John. Uh, I totally agree with that. And so Magdalena is definitely, speaking of believers there, and the fact that though they will suffer loss in that they will have less rewards maybe than more faithful believers because of their faith in Christ, they themselves will still be saved. So does that help you today? Yeah, um, yes, it does help me on that question. But what do they mean then now here where it says crowns will be given to them like the crown of uh, rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory? Who gets those crowns? Yeah, well, Magdalena, what's interesting is crowns in the New Testament is a metaphorical way to speak about rewards. So that's what the crowns are speaking of. They're they're speaking about rewards. And it's interesting because when you come to the book of Revelation, you will see that when we're in heaven, what we will do is we will take those crowns and we will lay them at Jesus' feet. We will take the rewards and everything that he's honored us with uh, for our faithful service to him, and we will give them back to him because, you know what, without him dying for us, without the relationship we have with him through grace, uh, by faith through grace, uh, and without what he's done for us, and especially giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, we would not even be able to do those good works. We would not even be able uh, to gain those rewards. And so that's mainly what the crowns are speaking of is it's it's a metaphorical way of speaking about the rewards that Jesus gives to us. So does we hope that helps you. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Reward was kind of the same thing of crown. So you did answer my question. Yes. Okay, you got it. Well, thanks so much for the call. If you would hang on the line and we'll get your information and get some things out to you. And we are just about out of time, John. We got 15 seconds. And so, John, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the program today. My pleasure, brother. God bless you. Have a great night tonight. You too. And thanks so much for tuning in to today's edition of To Every Man and Answer. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for more of the program. So until then, keep your eyes on the skies and knees on the ground and your nose in the book of the Word of God. And we'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless you all. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. 
or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes Store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 